thank you that you're the almighty God. We thank you, Lord, that age to age you reign. And that forevermore, God, that you are victorious. God, as we continue this worship, we ask you to continue to cleanse our hearts, Lord. Lord, that you would purify us. That you would renew us. And that you would restore us, God. I know that some of us are, are feeling broken right now, God. But we just want to lift everything to you. And just take us, Lord, as we are. Amen. sit down and just meditate on the words during this first part. Feel free to do that. Just do whatever the Spirit is leading you to do right now. And I'm going to read from Psalm 51, 10 to 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Thank mm -hmm. you. 
morning and we pray that you would um, be with us as we listen to your word that um, you would speak to us this morning in your name amen good morning and welcome to harvest community church can you remain standing and turn around and greet your neighbors we're gonna have a sports camp for the kids and so uh, we're taking signups for the camp and also looking for volunteers to help out with that so if you have any interest in helping please talk to Jerry Campbell uh, she'd love to fill you in on, on what, what the needs are. And the Park Sports Day. If you have a pen, you could cross out today after service and put next week on there. So don't show up today. Uh, come next week. We're going to have a little sports day after church. And with the man who puts the F in fun, Fidel and Olivia, uh, we'll play playing some fun games after church on Sunday. Do they need to bring anything else special? Just shorts and shoes, I guess. Oh, and $5 for lunch. Praise being that. Uh, seniors Bible Study, Thursday, May 19th at Irvine Presbyterian Church. Uh, talk to Ron Lynn if you have any questions. And the park will be meeting this Saturday, May 21st. Please join us for our next prayer fellowship. will be on Friday, May 27th, May 27th, 7.30, at Irvine Presbyterian. And a kickoff summer by joining us for barbecue on Sunday afternoon, June 5th, right after service at the gazebo behind the Senior Center. Uh, details will be coming soon. And the park will have a grad party. Grab your pens, please. Again, we have a typo. Uh, on Friday, not Saturday. Friday, is uh, June 3rd is a Friday. Uh, 6 to 9 at Creekside Pool in Woodbridge. And then the next couple's garden will be on uh, June 10th, 630 to 930 at Deerfield Community Park. And, you know, uh, as you know, Pastor Curtis is out on sabbatical. And I think he's traveling to, in Israel. And so we want to keep him in prayers for traveling safety. And this, that God uses his time to refresh him to re-guide him, to recalibrate him, and to refresh him with the Spirit. So keep him in your prayers. And we also want to keep Pastor Jerry. I see he's here. so good to see him. Pastor Jerry, he's going into radiation treatment. I know he started this week, and I hear so far so good. But to say it's an uncomfortable process is probably quite the understatement. So we want to keep Pastor Jerry in your prayers. And keep Pastor Ben in your prayers, too. You know, I, I think he's been stepping up the last couple of weeks here, and as he's going to be sharing with us today. Keep him in your prayers, too. I'm sure he covets your prayers just as much. Well... I, I don't know about you, but if you notice all the graduations going on, but there's a little college by my house with the football stadium, and all the high schools are starting to use that, that stadium for the, for the graduation ceremonies. And so you've seen the crowds coming in. I know there's a couple more coming this week. And then actually my kids get out of school really early now on their weird schedule. So this Friday is their graduation. Uh, they're graduating from junior high school, which, woohoo, they made it, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, you know, during these times, it makes me think, like, what do we hope for our kids after they graduate? Maybe not so much maybe junior high school, but even high school, I know, is going to fly by. Time's flying, isn't it? And, and that as they graduate high school, what, what do we hope for them? And I was talking to one of my friends, I was having lunch with them, and his kids have done very well, just very well. And he said, you know what, Al, you know, no matter how well they've done, if they don't abide in Christ in their lives, it, it means nothing, that, they, that, that my hope is that they, they walk with Christ in their lives. And so, you know, I said, you know what, you're right, because, um, you know, I think about my kids, and somehow if they abide in Christ in their lives, everything will be okay. I, I, I don't need to so worry about the, what they're going to become, whether they're going to make money or not, but, you know, just if they, if they walk with Christ, they abide in Christ, then, then, then I can have a peace about it. And, and, and so even as they graduate, I could bless those wishes, wishes upon them, and even in the high school as well. If they ask me, what, Dad, what does it mean to abide in Christ? Do I have the answers? What would I say? What would you say to your kid? What would you say to your friend? If they ask, what does it mean to abide in Christ? And, you know, I, I don't know that I have all the answers, but God bless it. Uh, uh, ben will be speaking to us today. 
So I'm really looking forward today so we can learn what it means to abide in Christ for us to share with our kids, with our friends, and maybe even to ourselves. Thank you, Al. You can't start by saying you don't have all the answers, but Ben's going to stand up and share now. It's kind of like, <laughs> I do have all the answers. I wish they did. No, I don't have all the answers, but we're going to talk. We're going to have a good time. So um, here's why I want to start our time, actually. I want you to think about the three closest people that are in your life. The three closest people that are in your life. Now, a few, um, a few things I want to note. It can't be your parents. can't be your spouse, if you have one, uh, wife or husband. It can't be your children. And it can't be your siblings, okay? So we rule out anybody that we have to be close to, okay? Now, anybody that you are close to outside of immediate family, think about that. Three people, three people that you're close to, and why? I want you guys to share with your neighbor, the, ne- the person next to you, maybe two or three people at most, the three people that you're the closest to in life, and why? Okay, go. I'll join you guys. All right, a few more seconds, start to wrap it up. Okay, so, three people that you're closest to and why. Let's hear a few. Who are you close to and why? Who are you close to and why? Jack and his coffee. Jack and his coffee, all right. (laughs) Two people, or is that one person? I don't know. All right. Anyone else? Yep. (laughs) Women's small group. Cool. Anyone else? I hear chuckling. Juliet. And her love. Aw, that's sweet. She has a very big heart. Yes, she does. This wonderful woman right here. Aw, that's cool. I'm sure if I went down the line, I could ask each and every one of you, but I'm not going to do that. Um, Who you're close to and why. We all have different reasons why we're close to people. Um, But the reason that that we ask this question is because that's the reality, is that we are close to people. In fact, we have the ability, we have the capacity to choose to be close to people, to what we'll call today abide in people. You see where I'm going with this. 
we also have the ability, the choice, to choose to be close to Christ, to be abiding in Christ, to be close to him. We're going to kind of look at what that means exactly, but I just kind of want to start off this message by asking the simple question, and this is going to be the question that kind of captures the whole, the whole picture of the message today, and that's this, and this is the question that John will ask in our passage, how do we know that we are in fact abiding in Christ? How do we know that we are abiding in Christ? You'll see in your message notes there that um, that's going to be the first question that we answer. And so what I want to do is I want to um, kind of first take a, take a quick glance at what we did last week, which is that we, we did two things. First, we, we, we opened up a new series, Abiding in Christ, and also we had a, we had a message that focused on um, walking in the light with one another, walking particularly in daily forever life with God. And we talked about how we can walk in that daily light of God if we can be confessing our sins to one another, if we can be honest and real, transparent with one another, and transparent and open and honest with God. Well, John, we're going to see in a moment why he did that. He laid this foundation of, essentially, of forgiveness, that you've been forgiven, that you can walk in the light with one another. We're going to see that shortly. Um, but I just wanted to highlight that as that's kind of how John started the passage. But chapter 2 that we're going into today is actually his primary purpose for writing the letter of 1 John. And so we're going to see today what the purpose is of the actual letter. And so if you have your Bibles, open to 1 John. If you haven't already, open to the book of um, 1 John. Not the Gospel of John, but 1 John. And we're going to be in chapter 2 today. Chapter 2, and we're going to again ask the question, how do we know that we are abiding in Christ? Our first main point is this. We know that we are abiding in Christ if we are obedient to him. We know that we are abiding or, or we're staying near to Christ if we are obeying his commands. So we're going to start reading actually at verse 3. Um, verses 1 and 2 kind of summarize essentially, they summarize chapter 1 that we've been forgiven through Christ Chapter 2, verse 3, starts off by saying this. Follow along. It says in verse 3, We know that we have come to know him, the word him there is referring to Christ, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him, in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Look at the cover of your guys' uh, bulletin, the, the actual bulletin you have there. I didn't actually do this. This was Marissa. She did a great job of it. It, it wasn't planned or anything, but the footprints there, um, picture of, of, of walking with Christ in the verse there, um, that we know that we have come to know him if we live as Jesus did. And what we see there is this, this intimate sense of knowing Christ. What John says there in verse 3, we know that, he doesn't say we know Christ if, he says we know that we have come to know Christ if. This word knowing, this is that abiding sense. We know him relationally. And he expands on this when he says in verse 6, whoever claims to live in him. This is what's on the, the front of the cover of the bulletin. Whoever claims to live in him. Most, actually, most other translations will say, Whoever, in this point right here, they'll say, whoever claims to abide in him, abide. It's a, it's a term that we use that we, we kind of 
kind of know, kind of don't know. It's actually pretty simple. It's basically to stay near, to remain, to stay steadfast. People in John's church and John's community back in the early church were being fed lies, fed lies about the gospel. What we looked at at chapter one of that we are fully forgiven in Christ, that we do in fact know Christ, that he did walk on earth as a physical human being. God became man. Well, that was a lie. They were telling lies about who Jesus really was, that he wasn't really who he said he was. And so what happened was people were starting to leave the church. They were starting to leave. And so this word abide here, remain, actually has a lot of weight to John. What he's saying is those who love Christ remain in him, both remain physically here at the church and remain walking with him each and every day. So this abiding word, it's not just this kind of soft and cuddly, oh, I'm close to Jesus. No, there's like an actual, I am choosing to remain near Christ and within his community. And so there's this choice that happens in this abiding, uh, in this word abiding that we have to remain, to continue walking with Christ. You know those leashes that they have for small children? It's not like that at all, okay? So that is like forced will over the child to have to stay within a certain sphere of the parent, okay? No, see, to abide is to obey, is to walk with. And so the idea of, of cutting the leash and having the child walk alongside the parent in obedience and walking that out. I kind of wish I had a leash sometimes for my children. It would make things a lot easier. But that's what we're seeing here is, is that, look at verse 3. It says, we know that we've come to know Christ if we keep his commands, That is, if we are obedient to him. You see, if we're going to say we are close to Jesus, we have to obey the things that Jesus says to do. We don't have to be be, be drug around on a leash all day long. No, we're actually choosing to walk with him. We know that we're abiding in Christ if we're obedient to him. And and then John goes on to say, here's what happens if if you say you abide, but you don't really. Verse 4, whoever says, I know Christ, or I abide in him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. John likes to call people liars. Did you catch that? Last, last chapter you did this, this chapter you're doing this. John, again, he's, he's protective of his congregation. People were leaving the church. They were saying, oh, we don't really need to be a part of this anymore. I can experience this abiding in Christ in this weird mystical sense all out on my own. No, this is the thing that happens in time and space with other people, and we do spend time with God alone, but there's also a community that we're a part of. And he says, if you're going to say that you abide in Christ but you're not following his commands, one of which is to be a part of the church, then you're a liar. And so then if we were to have John walk into the room today, John the Apostle John, who walked with Christ literally, was one of his disciples, who wrote the Gospel of John, who's the same John that wrote our passage today, our letter today, also wrote Revelation. This John walks in, and and we were to ask John, Sean, John, not Sean, his name's not Sean, John, (laughs) It's his modern day name. John, if you were to, if we were to ask John, John, show me how close I am to Christ. You know what he would reply? Show me how obedient you are to him. If we were to say, I I don't really know. I think I'm close to God, but I don't really know how close. Well, how obedient are you to him? How much do you actually take his words, take his commands and obey them? You see, obedience, this is the key indicator as to our nearness to Christ, our abiding in him. And yet, if we're honest, we're going to say that there is something within all of us that is somewhat resistant to this idea of obedience, right? I mean, that's why we're meeting here week after week. We continue to rebel. We continue to choose to say no to God, to what he has for us. Not all the time, but quite often we're saying no to God. We're, we're disobeying him. 
Um, this idea of obedience, we've actually been working this quite significantly with our four-year-old daughter, Rebecca. It is a journey every day in the land of obedience with her. Um, you know, so like, for instance, we ask her to clean up her toys, and she, she'll tell us that she doesn't want to clean up her toys. So then we say, well, you know, like every good parent says, Rebecca, you need to obey. And so her response back is, she furls her eyebrows and she says, I don't want to obey. Just like that. And I say, but Rebecca, you know, it's so much better for you. And I try to explain all the wonderful reasons why we obey, you know, and never buys it, never buys it. But we eventually get her to come to the conclusion that, okay, I'm going to obey. But so what she says now is, I will only obey this one time. <laughs> that's, her, that's her act of defiance, right? But hey, at least we're making progress, okay? So I'll only obey this one time. And, and I think, I, I share that because I think for all of us, right? We all don't want to obey, right? And, and we all, it's almost like God's just pleading, with, just obey this one time, just obey this one. Okay, okay, God, I'll obey this one time for you, right? But I don't think that's how exactly it is that God wants us to be living our life. In fact, I think that maybe we have a skewed vision of what obedience really is. And so that's actually what we're going to do today. That's, that's, we just answered our main question, is that how do we know we're abiding in Christ? That we're obedient to him. Now what we're going to do for the rest of this time is just flesh out that idea of obedience. What does it look like? Particularly answering two questions. The first question we're going to ask is, what specifically is Jesus calling us to obey? What is this command that he's calling us to obey? And secondly, where does this obedience take us? Where are we headed as we obey Christ? Okay? So let's, let's move forward now to um, the second, kind of the, like the sub-point there in your notes in answering the question, what command are we obeying? And so here we're going to see in our passage that we are obeying Christ's command to love one another. We are obeying Christ's command to simply love each other right here in the church. It says it right here. Look at in verse 7. John writes, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message that you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. He goes on to say, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. And right here, look at verse 10. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. What command are we called to obey? To love one another. It's right there. Verse 9 and 10, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates their brother or sister is in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light. So we're called to love one another. That's established. Well, let's, let's kind of look a little bit more at what John's saying here, because he kind of does this thing in verse 7 and 8 where he goes back and forth, right? I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one. Verse 8, I am writing you a new command. What, John? What? What's going on? So here's, here's, here's what he's doing here. He's saying there's an old command that we've all heard, we've all known. In fact, we find it back in Leviticus. It says to love one another, to love your neighbor. Okay, that is an old command. In fact, we see Jesus in the New Testament even quoting that old command to say love your neighbor. But he's referring to something specific here. In a new command, what he means is in a new context. What he's referring to is John 15 when Jesus says to his disciples in the upper room, Love one another as I have loved you, so that they will know, the world, everybody else will know that you are my disciples. In other words, to translate, as Christians within the church, love one another. 
Jesus commands us to love, right here and now, to love one another. Why? So that the world will know God's love for them. So the world will know God's, that we have this love for one another that God has brought through us. And so this passage focuses, focuses us on obediently loving one another here within the church. So how do we love one another? What does that look like? How do we actually love one another? Well, verse 6, if we look back at verse 6, actually gives us a, a slight picture of what this is, could be. Um, verse 6 says, whoever claims to abide in Christ must live as he did. If we're going to claim to abide in Christ, if we're going to be obedient, if we're going to love one another, how do we love one another? Well, just do it as Christ did. Okay, that's not hard, no big deal. Just love perfectly at all times, at all places, and you'll be fine, right? Never mess up, never sin, you'll be golden. Um, that's kind of what we can take from this if we don't look at the whole chapter, but we did fortunately just go through chapter one, which was all about sin, all about messing up, all about saying, guess what? You will mess up. John says that if you claim to not have sin, you're a liar. So John really, he's kind of set up this framework for us we can't get around, okay? We have to, on one end, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not saying here that it's okay to sin, all right? Let's be clear, okay? John's not saying go ahead and sin. No, he's saying that inevitably, as humans, fallen, born into sin, we will sin. So don't lie about that. Confess it to one another. Experience that honesty with one another. And as you do, you will experience this love that we're getting at the very heart of the gospel that Jesus has called us to love one another with. We often think of Jesus and his love as this, like, perfect thing that we are to follow that we can never mess up on. And yet, we're seeing time and time again examples throughout scripture of people messing up over and over again. I think of David, man after God's own heart. And he blew it big time. Adultery, murder, some of the heaviest things that we could think of, he did. And yet he was a man after God's own heart. How, does, how could that be? Our job isn't perfection. God promises to make us perfect one day. Our job, and I think this is what the, the text is getting at. I think that's what John's getting at here. Our job is to give ourselves to practicing love. Not being perfect, but practicing love, to obediently practice love. And I think it is simply this. It's that we practice and that God perfects. And so we need to give ourselves some grace in this, receive God's grace in this. And, and in, this, in this tone, we can kind of start to sense, okay, so Jesus is calling us to love one another so the world knows. You know, that we, well, but what about loving the world? John 3, 16, so, you know, God so loved the world. Where does the world come into this? Don't we, aren't we called to love, you know, people outside of our church? Well, absolutely we are. Absolutely we are. And that's why I think this is a practice, you know? So many of our kids play soccer, right? And, they, and they, they go to their practice week after week and they get ready. But what are they getting ready for? They're getting ready for the game. And I think that's oftentimes how it could be here in the church. That we're kind of, this is actually a test, this is a practice for us. This is, this is, this is an opportunity for us to kind of be messy together, to kind of try things out together, to kind of be real together. So that then when we get out to everyday life living out there, that we then can love the world the way that God does love the world, the way that he gave his son because he loves the world. And so I think practically John's, John's application here of how do we love one another? What does it actually look like? Yes, it looks like Jesus, but what do we actually do? I think what we actually do is in verse 10. In verse 10, John says, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. To make them stumble. It's a reference to sin. In other words, if we're walking together in the light, we're less likely to sin. What do we do with our sin? He says to confess. Over and over again, chapter 1, 
confess your sins and you will experience the forgiveness that you received when you received Jesus into your heart. Confess your sins. In other words, I think what John's getting at here, and I think Jesus is ultimately getting at, is our command to love one another is essentially to be sharing life with one another, opening our hearts to one another. What we see in Ephesians is speaking the truth in love. I think that captures well this idea. Speaking the truth in love. So maybe that's in a small group setting where we can sit down with one another, hang out, have fun, laugh, talk about life, and then start to talk about the real stuff that's going on underneath, the frustrations that we experience at home, the pain that we might be going through, the hurt that we experience emotionally, physically, spiritually. These are the things that I think John's getting at here, is to start to open up to walk in the light with God and with one another. And remember last, last week we talked about different reasons we need to confess. And that first one there, the reason we need to confess to one another is so that we make sure that God is not a phantom. So that, so that we don't think we're just confessing our sins and getting it off our chest. Really what we're doing is kind of just getting that sense of guilt off of us, but we're still walking in darkness. We're still walking separated from our family, from our brothers and sisters here in Christ. And John would say, no, don't walk in the darkness. That's the last place you want to be. That's actually, that's actually way harder to walk in the darkness than it is in the light. So you're having to hold that wherever you go. And so to speak the truth in love. And I, I, th I think that's what he's getting at here when we see this passage. So, so our first question, you know, what command are we obeying? We're obeying Christ's command to love one another. And then we're going to ask directionally, where, where is this obedience taking us? Where are we going with this? Are we just obeying for the sake of obeying? Or is, does, is, there, is there a master plan that God has for us in this obedience? And so now let's look, at the, let's look at the rest of the passage here and answer the question, where does our obedience take us? And we're going to see that our obedience takes us toward Christ-likeness. That as we obey, we will become more and more like Jesus. Which would make sense, right? Because if we're abiding in Christ, that means we're being obedient to him. And if we're obedient to him, we'll become more like him. And so verse 12, let's start at verse 12 and look, look at the rest of our passage 12 through 14, and kind of see how this unfolds. See if you can follow along here. John has quite an interesting, almost poetic tone to this. We'll break it down, but um, follow along here. And in verse 12, he says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Verse 13, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Verse 14, I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This is actually a very rare passage here in the New Testament. We don't really see anything else like this all throughout um, Scripture. And what's going on here is John is giving us essentially three stages of spiritual development throughout the church. He's giving us three different glimpses of people, kind of like, just like a human family, we have different people in the family at different levels of maturity. So in the church, we experience the same thing. And, 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 and John's just trying to give us a bigger picture of what's really going on here as we obey, as we abide in Christ. So we're going to look at each one of these individuals, just separate each one of them and look at what's going on here. And I want to note two things real quick. First of all, Nowhere anywhere in this passage does John seem to imply that one stage is better than the other stage. In other words, this isn't about comparison, okay? So as you hear these different stages, you start to think, oh, I wonder where I fall into this, okay? Uh, that's fine if you want to think kind of where are you, but this isn't about comparison, about who's better, okay? 
all day long, I know especially for our youth, it's, a, it's, it's constantly, we're inundated, right, with who's better, who gets the better grades, who's better at basketball, at volleyball, at soccer. It's always a competition, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that as we grow up, that doesn't really go away, right, because we have people like Donald Trump. Sorry, I shouldn't have brought politics in, but we have people who are always wanting to be better, okay? That's not what this is saying here. This is saying, hey, guess what? All of our identity is found in Christ, and we, that can't change, okay? This is simply... Where are you on that journey of becoming more like Christ? Okay, secondly, I want to say this, is that John does something in this. He repeats himself twice for each area, for each of the stages. And I want you guys to notice it. He's doing that to, to, to emphasize what he's talking about here. So again, another reason we want to kind of dive into this passage and see what is he doing here. And so let's look at the first, the first group, which we're going to, he says children, right? Now that's referring to new believers in Christ, people who have just come to the faith, who have just received Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And he says in verse 12, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And then down in 14, some, some translations will be at the end of 13, it says, I write to you again, I says, I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. Okay, so we have two, we have two things for the, the new Christian here. We see we two, two things. One is John's emphasizing their forgiveness in Christ. In other words, you're forgiven on account of his name, on account of the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. Okay, and then secondly, he's saying, you know the Father. In other words, you've come to be in a relationship with your heavenly Father. In Romans 8, we see that the Spirit resounds within us that cries out, Abba, Father. It's, very, it's a very simple thing. It's, it's you now have a heavenly Father. You're now in a relationship with God. And so if we've ever accepted Christ into our hearts, we have gone through this stage. We've experienced this. And then he moves on to, to the next group. And we're going we're gonna to go in order of, of growth. And so the next group he refers to as young men, or, or what we'll refer to as the maturing believers. Maturing believers. And the next group that he's referring to here, we see in verse 13. He says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And then down in 14, the end he says, Again, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, because the word of God lives in you, and again, because you have overcome the evil one. What do you think he's trying to emphasize there? <laughs> You've overcome the evil one, okay? We're going to recognize something, that as we, we, we jump into this relationship with God, we accept Jesus, you know, for the forgiveness of our sins, and this is an exciting place. For most of us who have ever received Jesus into our hearts, it's exciting, it's fun. There's, there's, a, there's a, a sense of life, because guess what? There is now life, abundant life in you, everlasting life in you. Well, well eventually, that's going to start to fade. <clears throat> and what John's saying here is you're going to start to go through the battle. You're going to start to go through the battle zone. And what's going to happen is you're going to experience attacks. You're going to experience the spiritual realm of the enemy attacking. You're going to experience internal attacks of your sin coming out. You're going to experience attacks. And what he's saying here is foundational to anybody who's going to move beyond this beginner phase of Christianity, which is this. You have overcome the evil one. On the cross, Jesus conquered the power of sin and death, the power of the enemy. One of the verses that I think we should all commit to memory in regards to spiritual warfare and, and, and things of that nature, because it can be a little intimidating. It can be a little scary to talk about what's going on in the demonic realm, what's going on, and what, what is Satan up to, and that kind of stuff. We need to first start with what does Scripture say about spiritual warfare? And it says in Colossians 2.15, and that's a verse that we should all at least have reference to, if not know by heart, but Colossians 2.15, it says, having disarmed in reference to Christ and what he's done on the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities, 
Christ made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He dismissed the powers and authorities. You're gone. There's no more powers and authorities that have, that have hold over the life of any believer. Anybody that has Jesus in their hearts, they no longer have any sense of, of bondage to spiritual warfare if they walk in the truth of this passage. If they, if they in fact, receive this word. Okay? We can still experience spiritual warfare. You and I both know that that, that can happen on a daily basis. In fact, I've heard that the, the typically, at least in our culture, because in other cultures we'll see in more like, um, you know, charismatic or underdeveloped, you know, countries, you know, the demonic is very evident. It's actually visible, and you see a lot. I've talked to missionaries, and you see a lot. Those of you who have been out there, you know, there's a lot happening you actually experience. Well, I've, I've heard it said that, that Satan's not as concerned about being too active here in America overtly, because probably, you know, if we saw all that was going on demonically, we'd have a lot more people running to the churches and running to, to Jesus. But what happens is, is, is Satan comes at us more of, as an angel of light, as it says in Scripture. He actually, he actually kind of makes us, you know, he encourages us to embrace sin. He encourages us very nonchalantly to just kind of, just kind of take in the culture, take in the, the, the music that's being played that you guys hear wherever you go now is music everywhere. Or the movies that you're seeing that are coming out, you know, some of them have great storylines to them. Don't get me wrong. I love watching movies. I love movies. But some of these movies are, we can say, legitimately demonic, or at least very heavily worldly influenced. Um, I heard about a movie recently. Oh, I won't get into that. Okay, anyway, yeah. I, I'm not going to go there. There's a lot of bad movies out there. Okay. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on out there that, that, that what Satan's job is here in America, we see, is, is kind of just kind of this casual approach. He's really not aggressing too much. And, and what's happening here is we're forgetting the truth of Colossians 2.15. That Jesus has already disarmed the powers. He's already disarmed the authorities. That if we simply rest in the truth of Scripture, if we simply abide in Christ, we are not going to be taken by spiritual warfare. We don't have to be taken by it. And so that's his encouragement to those of us who have, have no longer, you know, we've moved on from the baby phase, from the newborn Christian phase, and moving into maturity, He's saying you can walk confidently knowing that your strength is in Christ. And lastly, here we see the fathers. He says the fathers, and this is a reference to the mature believers. Those who have actually gone on quite a journey. That the the years of accepting Jesus into your heart and going through these battles of spiritual warfare are long past. And that now they're at this place. You see here, it says in verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And then again in verse 14, this is the only time he does this. He repeats the exact same thing verbatim. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. You know him. It's, it's, it's what we talked about last week. You know God, and you have this daily, forever walk with him. This deep communion with him. You're still human. You still struggle. You, you still sin. You still, but, but there's this sense in which that that spiritual warfare doesn't have the same punch that it used to have on you, that you're kind of walking in this place of just knowing God and, and, and contentments in him. And that's kind of the picture he gives of the third category. And, and ultimately, what we see there is a picture of Christ-likeness, of walking as Jesus walked, of seeing Jesus, how he walked on earth, loved others, embraced obedience fully, ultimately to die on the cross. And this is what this is. This is, a, this is an ongoing life of of dying, of dying to our former self, of dying to the sin, of the bondage that holds us down so that we can experience what God truly wants for us, which is life and life abundant, to live life with God. 
And so let's look now back at these three areas and say, okay, well, what do we have to apply in these? And so we see for the, the new believers, we knew, the new believers, what do we apply in this text to us? That's simply this. Rest in what you know. Rest that you are forgiven. Rest in that foundation that you are fully forgiven and fully accepted in Christ. Because sometimes we try to move on. We start to jump into doing. We start to jump into working and serving and being active as a Christian. But we start to forget the foundation of the gospel, which is that we're already forgiven, we're already accepted, and we can sit in that. And, and then next we see the, the maturing believers. What is the application for them? Well, like we've talked about, you have a struggle. There is a spiritual warfare. There's an ongoing daily fight that you're a part of. But what do we do with that? Keep struggling. Keep fighting. Don't give up. It's tempting. We start to hit walls in our spiritual journey. We start to hit walls and think, you know what? I'm going to church. I occasionally open up my Bible, and that's, that's good. That's good enough. That's, that's good. You know, you've been hit one too many times. And I would say, no, I don't think that's good enough. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you have to, you know, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What I am saying is you need to reflect back <laughs> on point number one, on, on, on the, the new stage of accepting Christ and that you're fully forgiven and fully accepted. Come back to that place, that no matter how many times you mess up, you're still loved. That, 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 can, that can never change. And furthermore, for application for the maturing believers, also recognize that there are new believers coming to the faith all the time, and we want to be intentional with those people. In fact, mentoring them, encouraging them, meeting with them is going to be incredibly valuable so that you can prepare them for the season that they're going to be walking into, for this, 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 this realm of spiritual warfare. And again, it's, it's more than just you know, demonic war- warfare. We're talking about everyday life, living in this world is a battle. And so to be able to walk with them through that is one of the, the most beautiful pictures we have of Christ and his disciples literally just walking through life together. I know in Orange County we don't have as much time to do that because we're all extremely busy, and, and I, myself included. I, it just, this culture kind of just sucks you right into it, and you have to be very intentional if you're going to create space for something like this. But I think it's necessary for all of us to do this. And so for those of us in that phase of the maturing believer, know that both you have a journey to go on, your, your own struggle, but also that there are other people about to go into that same place. Walk with them through that. We have men's ministries and women's ministries that actually offer this perfectly. It's, hey, sign up. We'll set you up with a mentor or a mentee. That's what this is for. And lastly, for the mature believers, um, here I am telling a mature believer how to apply this passage. I don't know. I'm not there yet. But for those of you who are there, I think there can be, and I've talked with people who are further along in their journey, almost a sense of like, you know, I don't want to come across as prideful, right? Like, I, I do have a deep relationship with God, but I don't want to come across as like telling others what to do. So I'm going to kind of just be over here. We see a lot of that actually in the early, early church back in the first few centuries with desert fathers. They were actually removing themselves from society altogether. The desert fathers were these very, I would say, spiritual people, walked very closely with God, but kind of separated themselves. And they had their reasons why they did that. Some of them were legitimate. Some of them were actually extremely illegitimate. But the point is, oftentimes, we tend to start to say, you know what, like, I don't want to like, you know, bombard others with, with, with my journey, with my life, with my experience, almost like we're breaking into someone else's boundary. And I think this passage is giving us something beautiful here. It's saying, you know, you know, who is, you know him who is from the beginning. You've gone on a journey. You're seeing that there's several, several people behind you that are on that same journey. And so what do we do? We, we walk with those people too. That for those who are mature in, in their faith, that seek someone, in fact, just pray about one person and seek them out. I can promise you that there, there will be something very fruitful in that on both ends. 
And I think uh, the core of all of this is relationship, right? It's bringing us all closer together. It's experiencing this loving one another. It's experiencing this walking in the light together. It's experiencing this obedience together. And that's, that's what we're seeing here. So to review our main point, it's that we know that we're abiding in Christ if we're obedient to him. And then that our obedience is lived out through loving one another. And ultimately, that obedience, the direction that obedience is heading is to becoming more and more like Christ. To experience God's love. And so I think that for all of us, this is a good, again, a good foundation of this passage. A good foundation of this entire letter that John has for us. We're going to transition into communion now. And and in this time, I'm going to ask us to reflect on this for a moment. Ask us to reflect on where is my obedience with Christ? Where is my obedience to God? Am I obeying his commands or am I resistant? Do I not want to obey his commands? Let's just think about that for a moment. So I'm just going to start this time off in prayer and then in communion we'll, 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 we'll bless that in just a moment. But for now let's just kind of sit with this idea of, of being obedient to Christ. And so, Father, we simply come before you. We open ourselves to you now in this relationship, in this experiencing your nearness to us. That as we choose to sit now to remain in you, to abide in you, Christ, we ask you, how am I obeying you? How am I being obedient to your commands? So just talk with God about that for a moment. Amen. You know, wherever we are in this spectrum, again, this isn't a comparison thing. We're all at different places of growth. Wherever we are, we all need to be reminded of the foundation that we were fully forgiven, fully accepted on the cross. And so that's why we do communion. That's why we take the bread, take the juice to remind ourselves of Christ's body and Christ's blood. That no matter how many times we fail, day after day, week after week, that we can continue to come to him, loved, loved by him, embraced by him. And so what we're going to do during this communion time is we're, we're going to just offer a time for all of us to be able to um, come up and actually receive, to come and take the bread, take the, take the juice. And you can just kind of go from the outsides in, and then you can head back to your seats. Um, Sitting with this truth, sitting with this idea that, that we're already loved by God. Um, this isn't something that we take. I think, I think when I was younger, I used to take this feeling somewhat guilty, feeling like I don't measure up, I, I'm not worthy of this, um, of taking you, Jesus. And, and exactly, we aren't worthy of him. Um, but we are forgiven by him. And so we, as you come up, take the, take the bread, take the juice, and then just carry it back to your seat. 
Just have a moment of just sitting with Jesus, just abiding in him. Really just kind of letting this, this series, the, the theme of this series just sink in for a moment. Of, you know what? I'm just going to sit here. I'm not going to talk with anybody. I'm just going to sit here, abide in Christ. Talk with Jesus if you'd like to. Just talk with God, but just sit there. And then if you'd like to take it on your own, you're welcome to. At the end, I'll come up, um, and, I will, um, and then we'll all take it together um, for those of you who haven't taken it yet. So um, we're just going to have some um, piano in the background. So just when you're ready, you can come up and take the, the bread and the juice.
the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it. He broke the bread. Break this in your hand right now. Break the bread as a reminder of Christ's broken body. He broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, we do do this in remembrance of your Son. We do this in remembrance of what you sent your Son to come to do. Out of your love for us, out of your love for the entire world, you sent your Son. So God, now we receive your life that you've given to us, your love for us. And we choose now to abide in you. We choose to stay near to you, Jesus. And as we fail in that, we choose to walk in the light with our brothers and sisters. As we thank you. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please stand as we close our last song, Till I See You Again. And I love this song because it's talking about living for Christ and loving and also trusting him.